Well, hey, good morning, Rock Hill. Good morning to you here in person, but also online. We're just so grateful that you have chosen to worship with us in whatever capacity that you've been able to today. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Colossians chapter 3. Now, we're wrapping up next week our series in the book of Colossians. Can you believe that we'll be wrapping up the entire series next week? Week. Paul has been instructing us and teaching us to have a kingdom mindset. So that's a kingdom down, not culture up mindset, which means that we're going to ask God what he would have for us to do, and we want to be what he has called us to be. And so he's been doing this in the last two weeks. We've dealt with marriage and then now family. And then today, we're going to be looking at the workplace. If there's any place that involves all of us, it's going to be in the workplace place. Now, I want you to know, uh, I remember as a kid, our coach, uh, Sam Harrell, he, he would sometimes, and I think he stole it from Vince Lombardi, but he would hold up a football and he would say, boys, this is a football, just to kind of remind us of some of the fundamentals. And I want to do similar this morning and, and just kind of show you this, can you believe, this is a Bible. All right, now listen, I believe every word in the All right, now listen, I believe Every word in this book, every chapter, every verse, all 66 books of this Bible. And I remember Dr. Criswell used to say, from the table of contents to the maps, I believe this is the inerrant word of God. And because of that, it's going to frame how I see the rest of the world. And I hope it frames how you see the rest of the world as well. However, there is a tendency within our culture for people to want to look at this text and pick it apart, overlooking some things or misapplying other things. And often what will happen is they'll see things like we're going to be teaching and talking about today and want to completely discredit this book. But we can't allow that. Whenever we read something difficult in the Bible, we can either... We could either ignore it, which, which I don't think we should ignore God's word. We could edit it, but I don't think God is looking for editors. I, look, I think he's looking for messengers. Or we could apologize for it. But I'm not in the business for apologizing for God. I think God has already spoken for himself. And I think today when we begin to look at this text correctly, I think it helps us understand what Paul is actually saying. And that leads us then to where we have to look at this text. And we are our kill, as we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible, it's going to bring up some hard texts. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 22 through chapter 4, verse 1. If you're there, will you say word? Slaves or bondservants obey your human masters in everything. There it is, right? Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive a reward or the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong has done, and there is no favoritism. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know, too, that you have a master 
in heaven. Now, when we read this text, we see that first word, slaves, and automatically we begin to think about our own history. We can't help it. We can't help but see this text through the lens of American slavery. I need you to know, though, that this Bible was written before America was formed. You understand that, right? That the the Bible was written before America. Okay. It was written in the middle or during a Roman occupation, during a, a Roman setting. So whenever we see words that maybe in, through our lens of American history might be a little, make things a little bit awkward or cause the temperature in the room to rise, we have to understand the context. But for us to understand the context, I want to get that, I want to get that elephant out of the room and just kind of deal with it for a second. We have to talk about American slavery just for a minute. Because there were some that would take passages like this and they would justify American slavery. But we have to understand that Paul, who wrote this book to the church in Colossae, also wrote to a pastor named Timothy. And here's what he says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 10. And you can go back and read the whole verse, but I I just wanted to highlight something for you. Here's what Paul says to Timothy. He says, "We, we know that the law is not meant for a righteous person, but for the lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinful, for the unholy and irreverent. And then Paul's going to list out a, a bunch of irreverent, lawful, ungodly, sinful practices. And look what he says. He says, for slave traders, for whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching." What Paul is doing here in 1 Timothy is he's saying, hey, there's a, there's a whole host of things that are ungodly. There's a whole host of things that are unholy and, and unworthy, and they are lawless and contrary to sound doctrine. And one of those things is the buying and selling of human beings as if they are property. Slave trading is the taking of a free person Buying them or, or uh, taking them captive and then going to a market and selling them for a profit or for any means at all. It's to treat people like property. Now let me be as pointedly clear as I can. Slave trading, slave trading is unjust. It is wicked. It is against the will of God. It is inexcusable. And when it comes to American slavery, much of it was based on race. And that's a problem. Buying and selling of people is contrary to the kingdom mindset. It's a culture up mindset to buy and sell other people. Why? Why? Well, because one, there is God. And God, by his grace, makes humans in his image and in his likeness. We are then, therefore, every human has value. And then below humans are animals. So there's God, there's humans, and then there's animals. I'm not bashing animals, but I'm just saying that's, that's the order. If you think that humans are simply evolved animals then you can come to a place of justifying the buying and selling of other people because you'll say, oh, I'm just a more advanced animal than they are. 
my species is just a little bit more advanced than those of a maybe a different race or a different color or a different background. Can I just tell you, the Bible does not advocate for slavery in the mindset of buying and selling another person because if you begin to think that it does, you'll be thinking culture up as if you can own somebody else. That's contrary to scripture. Culture up often contains an evolutionary theory that mankind is simply a progressed animal. And that some animals have not progressed as far as our race has, and therefore we can justify our buying and selling of others. This is why simply American slavery, for, for many reasons, was, was wrong. Because many treated individuals like property. Now, slavery takes place in the Bible, but it's not advocating for slavery. Just think in the Old Testament, you've got Joseph who is sold into slavery, right? It's not seen in a positive light. You've got the people of Egypt at some point in that timeline where they become slaves to Pharaoh. It's a problem. You've got Daniel who is captured and taken away from his family and made a slave in Babylon. It's not seen in positive lights. That's why you have, even in our present day, slavery still taking place. You've got sex trafficking taking place where young women are groomed and then kidnapped and then put into a situation that is lawless, rebellious, ungodly, sinful, unholy, and irreverent. But the kingdom mindset says that we don't advocate for animals in the same way that we advocate for people made in the image and likeness of God. And I'll just take one for the team here just real quick. But there is a class of people who are not given a fair shake in this world. There's a group of people that are, you might even say systemically, not allowed to speak out or defend themselves. And they're taken and they're eliminated from this life without even given a chance. And that is largely the unborn. The unborn are, in a sense, people who are not given a fair shake. And we just allow it to take place. We just have a different terminology than maybe we use in days gone by. However, we need to advocate for those who are in the womb, made in the image of God. But I will also say that we also need to advocate for those who are outside of the womb. Why? They're made in the image of God. So Christians have this understanding that we advocate for the unborn, but also the born. It's why Christians should be the leaders in what it means to care for children who've maybe been abandoned into foster care. Christians should be advocating for the protection of lives, every life. Why? Because at the feet of Jesus, people from every tribe, race, nation, tongue will be gathered at the throne. So if that's going to take place in heaven, we at the very least should be advocating in the same things that heaven is advocating for. So we should not be offended when we can care for somebody else's life because their life does matter. Because at the feet of King Jesus, we will all be gathered. And when it comes to American slavery, of course it was wrong. But we must not stand in judgment when we have things that are existing even today that could be compared to the same. 
Now that's not precisely what Paul is getting at in this text. Because he's writing in the context is Roman slavery. Roman slavery is not advocated for in the Bible. There are some that would say it was. But here's what Paul says, the same author to the church in Corinth. He says, if, if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity. He says in verse 23, you are bought at a price. Do not become slaves of people. What is God saying? When he even uses the word here in verse 22, slaves obey your masters. God is saying, the, real, the word that's actually being used is a bond servant. A person in this day would bind themselves to another person. That's what a slave was in this context. Now remember the setting was the Roman world. There were several ways that you could become a bond servant. And I'll just name a few. There's, there's a lot of other ways, but I'll just name a few. For instance, people would become bond servants, which means that they would bind themselves to another when they were faced with bankruptcy. Today, if you went to the bank and, and took out a loan, they may approve your loan based on some type of collateral you're putting down as, as backup if you cannot pay your loan. So some have, would use maybe their house or a vehicle or, or, or maybe some other, maybe their 401k or whatever it may be. They'll use that as collateral. And then if they're unable to pay the debt that they owe, that would be taken by the bank in bankruptcy. In those days, they didn't have that opportunity. So often what people would do is they would actually put themselves as the collateral. They would say, if I cannot pay you back, I will, I will become your servant. I will become your bond slave or bond servant serving you to pay back my debt. And they would figure out how many years that would be, six years, seven years, or whatever it may be. And then they would work it off. Sometimes people did that with their entire families. So that's one way. Another way that people became bond servants or slaves in the Roman system was maybe they hit rock bottom. You know, in our day and time, we have social services that help people that maybe have hit difficult seasons of life. We have outreach centers and community ministries that, that help people who maybe have hit rock bottom. And, and many have come to that place and they don't need to be embarrassed about it. Sometimes it just happens. But in those days, they didn't have that opportunity. And so when someone hit rock bottom, they went, well, hey, it's better for me to be able to eat and provide covering for my family. I'll become their bond servant and just work for them the rest of my life. Another way that people became bond servants was if they were, they were a prisoner of war. The, their nation becomes captured and they get, they get taken and then they become bond servants to whoever had captured them. There was a number of ways in which you could become a bond servant. Servant. Now remember, this text is talking about the situation in the Roman cities and governance. In that day, up to a half of the population were bond servants. Some 60 million people in this system of which Paul is writing to in the context in, upwards of 60 million people were bond servants. So it begs some questions like why didn't Paul attack the institution of slavery as evil or bond servants as evil? Why did he not encourage slaves to rebel against the masters? Because even in, in the, in the, in the, to the church in Corinth, he doesn't tell them to rebel. He just says, if you have an opportunity to be free, take it. Why didn't he denounce these so-called Christians who maybe were masters and yet had bond servants? Why, why didn't he do that? Well, for a few reasons. Number one, the Roman Empire did not care what Christians thought. 
Christians didn't have a seat at the table with the Roman government and go, hey, we want to hear what the Christians have to think about this. Now, thankfully, in America, there are some levels of which we do have a seat at the table, and I'm grateful for that. But I'm just telling you, in that situation, Rome did not care what Christians thought. Another reason why Paul doesn't do this is because if he would have said that, it would have created another injustice. Think for a minute. If Paul said, come to Christ and your house is paid off, student debt, gone, credit card debt, eliminated, car loan, it's yours, and here's some extra cash to go along with you. It would have created a revival, because who wouldn't come to Jesus for that? But it would have also created a mess of injustice. If you take out something, as a follower of Christ, you should do all that you can to pay it back. Here, this would have dismantled the actual working system because a bondservant was somebody who willingly bound themselves to their master. A bondservant was somebody who worked for and it was an employee of someone else. The Bible doesn't condone slavery. He just tells us how to live in the middle of the workforce system. Paul gives some universal principles, if you will, for us to understand, hey, this isn't the American slavery that we're thinking. It's more of the Roman bondservant system that's being presented. And what Paul will do is Paul's going to actually elevate work to say, hey, I'm going to take what you think work is, and I'm going to make it even higher of a responsibility that you have as followers of Christ. You see, what Paul is going to share is actually countercultural. It's a kingdom down mindset because he's going to say in verse 11 of chapter 3, there's no slave and there's no free, but Christ is all and in all. So what he's saying to a group of people is, hey, if you're a master, if you're a bondservant, you two are equal in the image of God. Paul will write to about to Philemon 16, he says that he has a brother who is a slave in Christ, but he's a brother to his master. While there may have been orders of, hey, the, the boss and those that, that submit to the boss, they were equal in the image of God. So Paul doesn't tell bond servants to stop working. I'm concerned that many want to take that position even today to just stop working. But Christians don't stop working. Christians keep at it, reminding, Paul will remind them of who they really answer to when it comes to work. Now, all of that is my introduction to my sermon today. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. The aim this morning is simply this. The kingdom mind and person has Jesus as Lord in the workplace. The kingdom mind and person as Jesus as Lord in the workplace. You say, well, how did you come to that conclusion? Well, five times will Paul use the word Lord when he's referring to something in regards to work. That goes to one, the bondservant, but also to the master. Look what he says in verse 22. He says, you are to do what you do to, because you fear the Lord. You fear the Lord. He says in verse 23, he says, do it, he says, your work from the heart as something done for the Lord. 
In verse 24, he says that when you work, you will actually receive an inheritance from the Lord. Then he says in verse 24, you serve the Lord Christ. And then he says this to the masters, you have a master, which can be uh, often is equated to the, to the name Lord. You have a master in heaven. So when I say Jesus is Lord of our work, I'm saying that Jesus is Lord of the workplace, of the workforce. Because if you have a relationship with Jesus, that means you're going to have a kingdom mindset when it comes to what you are doing. And therefore you understand, I have a bigger calling than just doing my job to do my job to receive a paycheck. I'm doing it unto the Lord. It changes how you operate as an employee, and it's going to change how you operate as an employer. One of the greatest mission fields is the workplace. How you work will give credibility to your verbal affirmation of following Jesus. When you fulfill the duties of your job, you're actually displaying to those that you submit to that Christ is your Lord. But you need to know that begins in your heart before it ever shows up in your hands. When we go, we don't... We don't work while being, just while being watched as people pleasers. But you do it from the heart as something done for the Lord. Or, or we work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. You, you know what this is like. Your mom and dad have asked you to go clean your room. And you go to your room and you're shuffling your feet. And you haven't really done anything for 10, 15 minutes. And because you can hear the creaking of the floor, you hear that your mom or your dad is walking up. And all of a sudden, you hop off off your bed, and you start moving around with lots of activity as if you've been working. You've never done that, have you? (laughs) You aren't to just do a good job when others are watching. You're not to be, when your boss asks you to do something, do it, and then mumble under your breath about how you don't like what he just asked you to do. Why? Because you have a better and greater boss, and his name is King Jesus. And a kingdom mindset says, I'm going to willingly do whatever they've asked me to do, provided it's not violating my conscience or scripture. Look at verse 24. He says that knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. When Paul says this, this is completely countercultural to what bond servants understood. You think of, you see, a bond servant was somebody who had no inheritance. A bond servant willingly placed themselves under another so that they could have food, they could have shelter, and they could have a life. But here he's saying, look, when you serve, there's going to be one day, when you serve well, there's going to be one day that you receive an inheritance. That was not the case for most bond servants, if not any bond servant. But here, when you work for the Lord, you're going to receive an inheritance, and it will be far worth, more worth than anything else you could acclaim and have on this earth. That's why Jesus is Lord of the workplace. But he's also, when Jesus is Lord of our work, we work from, from the heart or wholeheartedly. Another way to say this is that we work from the soul. That means that we do whatever they've asked us to do as employees. Again, if they're asking you to lie or falsify on taxes or or, or, or break your conscience or or do something that violates scripture or violates the law, you shouldn't obey that. Don't hear me saying that. 
But if they ask you to do this, you do. If they ask you to do something that violates Scripture, you remind them of your faith and that you cannot violate that. And you may lose your job, but you won't lose your integrity. Now, in the same regard, if your boss is asking you to do something and it's not going to break those things, look, look, you do them. They may be menial. They may be small in your mind, but you being faithful in those little things, then the Lord will give you even greater things. This is why we should want to do excellent work. We want to do things well here at our church because it, we live to glorify God in everything that we do. And we want to do it with a positive attitude. I want to do it from my heart. What does Paul say in Philippians? He says, we are to do all things without grumbling or arguing so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent. How many times have we been asked to do something and the first reaction is to grumble or argue about whatever is being asked? When Jesus is Lord of your work, you're going to do it from the heart. But when Jesus is also Lord of the work, here's what Paul then does. He turns to the employers. He says, employers will be just and they will be fair. If you're a boss or an employer, you should probably use the golden rule to frame how you operate in the workplace. You're to treat your employees as you would want to be treated if you were in the same situation they were in. I think too quickly we forget this. And you've been in environments where the employees are not treated justly and fairly. Maybe you've been in a situation where they're short with you because their boss is short with them. Or maybe you've been in a situation where if you were to ask the characteristics of that employee, they would not exemplify Christ because their employer does not exemplify Christ. If you have people who are, you are overseeing or you have those that are under your authority within a job place, you ought to treat them with justice and with fairness. You ought to take consideration for their well-being and their good. And I believe when you take that into account, they will become better employees. That's why he says, masters, deal with your bondservants or slaves justly and fairly. Why should they do this? Because you too have a master. I think sometimes we think we are in an island of ourself. And if followers of Jesus exemplified these things of being a, a good servant, but also being one who's good in authority, I think, I think the culture would be radically changed. Now, in all of this, we want to have a kingdom mindset. One of the reasons why I'm looking forward to heaven is because there will be no more masters, there'll be no more bosses. And there'll be no more elected pol politicians. <laughs> if we took a vote and there won't be in heaven, the vote would be overwhelming. It'd be unanimous for King Jesus to be our boss, to be King Jesus to be our master. And I can't wait for the day where we don't have to worry about the implications of one vote over another or one master over another. When we obtain a kingdom mindset, we realize it is with great joy that we submit to the great master. Some of you are nervous about trusting in Jesus because you don't want anyone else to be the boss of your life. 
But let me just tell you this. Jesus is a better boss of you than you. Jesus is a better boss of you than you. He's more loving, he's more compassionate, he's more kind, he's more generous, he's more giving, he's more forgiving, he's more rewarding than you are to you. He's a better boss than you. I used to think I was a pretty good boss of myself until I met Jesus. And when I met Jesus, I realized I don't want anybody else to be the boss of my life. I want Jesus to be the boss of my life. And I began to ask the question, then how can I represent King Jesus and his kingdom in the places that he's put me in for his desired will? Jesus is a great master. He's a great example for us to follow and submit to. But here's the reality of this text, Jesus isn't just a great master, he was also a great servant. Look what Jesus says. He says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life up for a ransom for many. Jesus not only exemplifies what it looks like to be a boss or a master, he exemplifies what it looks like to be a servant. What? Why, this is why. This is why we have served Sunday, the last two Sundays, for you to find the place that God has for you to serve in his church, in this place. Why? Because Jesus modeled this. This is why I want you to transform the workplace by how you work. That you realize, I, I'm going to do this because I fear the Lord. I'm going to do this because I know that if I do it well, I'm going to receive an inheritance in his glory. I'm going to do it because I serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to serve him well. Why? Because Jesus, who created everything, came to earth, submitted himself to parents. He even had a job. And Jesus, although he was a carpenter, he didn't cut corners. And Jesus, when he said he was going to do something, he did it. This is the kind of employee we ought to be. And when we do this, it becomes an example to others about what it means to follow Jesus. Have you ever seen the employee who joyfully scrubs the toilets to the glory of God? The dishwasher who cleans the plates and the dishes with fervency? Or as Brother Lawrence says, I, I peel potatoes to the glory of God. Whatever God has put in front of you, you are to do it well, because you are doing it unto the Lord. And if you have those that you oversee, you are to treat them with fairness and justice because you too have a master who has treated you beyond what you deserve. So today, maybe you need to understand that Jesus was perfect in authority and perfect under authority. Maybe today you need to trust in Jesus because he is a far greater boss for you than you. Or maybe today you need to reflect on how you're working or how you are employing others, how you're treating them. I'm confident in this. Whatever Jesus is calling you to do, you ought to take action steps on it. You see, because following Christ isn't just about having your affections stirred. It's also about taking action steps in obedience to him. And when we see texts like this, we say, look, this was the context of what was being written. But in it, it has application for me. Now, may I go be the employee 
that God has called me to, believe, to be. And may, if I have those under our, our care, that we treat them with justice and with fairness. None of that is possible if verse 1 of Colossians 3 is not applied to you. That because of you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you become chosen, holy, and dearly loved. May that be true for you today. It can happen if you confess, believe in your heart that Jesus is the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we come right now to you, and God, we are grateful that you allow us to work. Now, Father, may we be a workforce that serves the great master. And Lord, in all of this, help us to not let the culture frame the conversation, but let the kingdom to shape and transform the conversation. Jesus, thank you for being a better and greater boss for us. Thank you for exemplifying what it means to serve and to surrender. Lord, if there are those in this room today that need to trust in you, would you give them the courage to step forward and say, I need to follow Jesus. I've been far from God, but I want to be a follower of him. Maybe there's some in this room that have come under conviction that they need to change their habits. Father, maybe they need to pray at the altar for their workplace. They're in a difficult situation. They need to come to you and plead for guidance and action. But God, we know this, that you love us far more than we deserve. And because you love us far more than we deserve, you don't keep us as we are. You change us. And so, Lord, may there be nothing that we desire other than you in this moment and this week. We ask in Christ's name, amen.